It's a real privilege to be with you this morning and worship uh, here. I'm an 8 o'clock service person, so there's many faces I don't recognize. Thanks, Ken, and your praise team. Fantastic. I grew up a number of years ago, as you can tell. In school when I was there, chewing gum was a big deal. If I got caught chewing gum, I could be sent to the principal's office. So there was always a debate when you got caught whether to fess up or to swallow the gum. And the teacher said, don't swallow that gum. It'll stay in your stomach for years. And it was a myth that I believed. Winter months had come along and my mom would say, don't go outside with wet hair. You'll catch a cold. Not true. We live with mist. Do you feed a fever and starve a cold? Or is it the other way around? I get confused on that. I remember Larry used to cross his eyes in school and they'd say, quit that, your eyes will get stuck. And I was always worried about Larry. <laughs> then my mom said, don't watch TV in the dark or don't sit too close to the TV, it's bad for your eyes. And that's just not true. We live in a world with mist. There's a myth going around in Christianity that says, if you accept Christ, your problems are over. Just isn't true. Your relationship with God and that spiritual eternity is resolved. But we have a whole other set of issues now to deal with as non-Christians when we were non-Christians. The doors are locked out there for a reason. That world out there is filled with all sorts of issues that we have to deal with. There's fires going on now in California and Colorado, and there's floods in the south, and there's a heat wave. And last week, a dam in Laos broke, and a friend of mine, Peter's in trouble. There's terrorism. You know, as soon as something happens, is it terroristic? Why did he do that? It seems like the righteous people aren't winning. And as Christians, we start to say, geez, what's going on? It doesn't look like the good guy's winning. Evil is out there. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Those questions aren't unique to the 20th century, 21st century. There was a minor prophet. It's considered minor because as God spoke to him, he didn't write as much as the others. But there's a minor prophet that's ministering to the southern kingdom by the name of Habakkuk. Let's back up for a minute. You've got the Jews that come down from modern-day Israel into Egypt. Joseph is sold, and he goes down and he is elevated by Pharaoh, and he becomes a prominent figure. And the Jews follow him down to Egypt, and they spend about 400 years there. Moses leads them out. And they kind of flounder in the wilderness. And then Joshua leads them into the Promised Land, and they have some great military victories. And then they backslide, and God sends some judges. And then pretty soon the people say, hey, we don't like this. We want a king. And so Samuel appoints him a king, and Saul's the first king, and David's the second king, and Solomon's the third king. And after Solomon passes away, the kingdom splits into a north and a south. 
And the north is pretty hedonistic, and they get run over by the Assyrians. And then a number of years later, the southern kingdom is all that's left. And that's where we find Habakkuk. He's a prophet to those southern two tribes. And so he's looking out at the horizon, and he's going, Man, there's such injustice. Why, God, are you using pagan nation like the Babylonians to teach us a lesson? Why are you tolerating that? You're just silent. So that brings us to the book of Habakkuk, who asks tough questions, and God answers those. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the book of Habakkuk that teaches us. This morning, help us to remove, to block out the white noise that bothers us all and to focus on your word for the next few minutes open our eyes that we can see and our ears that we can hear and more importantly that our hearts will be penetrated and my prayer is that every one of us as we leave this sanctuary will never be the same amen So Habakkuk 1, verse 2, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Habakkuk's got a problem. We just outlined that. His country's in disarray. Babylonians are coming. And he goes to God with his problem. And I think that's true for us today. We can go directly to God. You notice he didn't go against God. He went to God. He didn't run down to the synagogue and talk to his rabbi. He didn't run out to his coffee group or go home and talk to his spouse. He went to God, and he honestly approached him. And it wasn't so much a theological question or even a national question. It was a personal question because I think he felt responsible in some ways for that southern kingdom. He was the prophet God was speaking through. He goes, God, what is going on? And I think in many respects, he was, if you read through the book, he's kind of like a lawyer preparing for a trial. And he's kind of getting himself and his arguments lined up. And he goes to God with some confidence in those first couple of verses. Listen, we got problems. You're not paying attention. Come on. How often do I go to God? How often do you go to God in prayer with that attitude? I had an aha moment for myself a while back that maybe some of my prayers should be asking God what I should be praying about. Habakkuk, you can kind of tell, read between the lines. Habakkuk knows what should take place. This is happening and this is happening. Where are you, God? Let me help you out. So he honestly approaches God. And then down to verse 12, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you're eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. You have sent these Babylonians to correct us. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil. And God answers and said, I'm going to send some Babylonians your way, pal. And I think it kind of knocks Habakkuk back on his heels a little bit and says, wow, maybe I should kind of reevaluate. 
And God had set up, uh, in, up leading up to Habakkuk that when the Israelites had some great uh, event occur, either spiritually or in battle-wise, they would build a monument so that they could go back to that later and be reminded of what God had done. I think it's kind of a heads-up for us as well. I think we should be journaling as Christians. And so in times of drought or even in times of good, I can look back and I can read what God had done. Those monuments in our life should be part of our spiritual discipline. How many times do you think Abraham either physically went back to Mount Moriah or thought about when he had the knife and he was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac and God delivered a ram for him? Or what about David? Do you think David ever thought about the Valley of Elah? Where he stood in front of Goliath and said, In the name of the Father I come. Do you think Peter ever looked out to the Sea of Galilee and said, That's where I walked on the water? Or even Zacchaeus, as he's just walking through town, he looks up to the sycamore tree and said, That's where I met my Savior. Well, Habakkuk does that. He says, okay, let's review what I know to be true about God. You are eternal. I don't know about you, but I can kind of fabricate eternity. I can kind of get that I've got a soul and what I do here right now depends on where my soul spends eternity, but I can kind of get that it goes on. But I don't understand and I cannot get my arms around eternity past. To me, there's just got to be a beginning. It says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. God was there before the beginning. I don't get it. And Habakkuk looks at that and goes, whoa, you're eternal. Wow. And then he says, oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One. He's personal. And it's hard to fathom that the God of the universe that spoke that into existence cares about me. Now, I'm easily influenced and impressed by the digital world. And I can turn this thing on and say, Siri, directions to Broncos Stadium. And I've got three directions just for me. I can go through Kimball. I can go through Cheyenne. I can go through Stiegel. One takes three hours and 22 minutes. There's traffic on this one. Siri is talking to me. And if I make a wrong turn, Siri says, whoa, whoa, make a U-turn, come back. Or if I keep going, I just ignore Siri. Then she reroutes me. It's a bad example, but I think that's God with us. I don't know how many thousands of people, millions of people 
are getting directions from Siri. But she cares about me. Wow. God cares about you. He's watching you, and he's saying, this is the route to go. And, uh-oh, you've made a turn. Better you turn. Better go this way. And Habakkuk says, man, he's personal. Unbelievable. Then he says, thine eyes are too pure to approve evil. That creates a problem. Because sinful man can't be in the presence of a holy God. In the Old Testament, leading up to Habakkuk, God created a sacrificial system where animals had to be sacrificed. Blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. The New Testament, that's why it's new, God, gave, God sent Christ himself, God-man, led a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave, as our sacrifice. John the Baptist looked and said, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. I have a sacrifice if I want to accept that. And if I pray in my heart of hearts, it says, God, I understand I'm a sinner. I want forgiveness of that. I want to accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I'm willing to turn from my path. I believe you'll spend eternity with God. Then he goes on to say, you know, you're a rock, you're sovereign, you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You have control of the events. Habakkuk reviewed what he knew to be true about God. And then jumping down to verse 1, 2, again, it says, violence is everywhere. You do not come to save. Look around at the nations. Be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe. God tells Habakkuk, you know, sometimes I'm going to be quiet. And sometimes you may see me active. And I thought of Jim Elliott. Jim was a young man in his 20s who got the call of God to go visit, to go minister to the Indians in Ecuador. He and his family and a number of friends went. They spent quite a bit of time studying the culture and learning the language. And they made some outreach into the Aka Indians. And they had some kind of favorable initial contact. So they moved their village or their little tribe or their, I guess you'd say their area of living, closer. And within days, the Aka Indians slaughtered them. And you go, why would you do that, God? Why would you take somebody in the prime of their life, call them to South America, and then just slaughter them? Makes no sense. God is silent. What's going on? The rest of the story is Jim's wife comes back later and ministers to those cannibalistic Indians. And then I read a while back a story that I'll admit I did not believe, and I then Googled it. Of course, now it has to be true. I found it on Google. <laughs> it's a story about Ken Gobb. He's a pastor in Kentucky. 
and he relates a story. He and his family are traveling. It's 1999. And they get to a place apparently they need to eat. And he sends his family in for food. And he describes himself as a little discouraged. And he's going to stretch his legs. And he's outside kind of walking and probably talking to God or something. And all of a sudden, kind of across the way, there's a filling station. And a phone starts to ring. He's kind of watching the phone, thinking, well, the attendant, he'll, I'm sure, answer the phone. It, it's ringing. And he kind of keeps pacing back and forth, and pretty soon he goes and answers the phone. Hello. Operator on the phone says, a long-distance call, Ken Gobb. He says he puts the phone around, and he looks, and it's like, is there a candid camera around here? He goes, who is this? He says, this is an operator, long-distance, Ken Gobb. What? She says, is this Ken Gobby? He says, yes. You have a call, long distance. And then there's a voice comes on the phone. Hi. Uh, who, who is this? Well, who is this? Uh, I'm Millie from Harrisburg. Is this Ken Gobb? Pastor Gobb? Yes, it is. What's going on? Um, I just wrote my suicide note. And I thought, if I could just talk to that pastor on TV, maybe it'd make a difference. And then these numbers, they just started coming into my head, and I just started to dial them. He talks her off the ledge. He goes in to eat. And he sits down and says, you won't believe this. God knows where I am. The mysterious inactivity and the mysterious activity of God. And then God kind of helps Habakkuk out. He says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God gives Habakkuk Information that says, I win in the end. These verses of the millennium. My chosen people are going to make it. You're on the right side. In spite of the Babylonians that are coming, there is a millennium in the future. Habakkuk can look back and see the hand of God on the covenant people and how miraculously they've gotten to where they're at. We've got the ability to look back several thousand years. There is no race that's ever been defeated militarily, dispersed, and ever reassembled. The Jews have done it twice. God's hand is on those covenant people, and Habakkuk sees that. And so he, he's kind of thinking back. He goes to God with his concerns. God says, I'm going to do some things that are going to shock you. He reviews what he knows to be true about God, that he's eternal and he's personal and he's holy and he's the same. And so Habakkuk says, I'm going to wait. I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says. I don't know if you've tried to wait on the Lord. But it's extremely difficult, at least for me. 
if I try to be silent and listen, it seems like within seconds I'm thinking about what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to do, i got to make this, i got to do that. And just the noise of the world. So I've kind of tricked myself. I had three verses for the longest time that I've used. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try my and see if there's any hurtful way. And then be still and know that I am God. And then I'd say, okay, if I do that, it says, he who waits on the Lord will gain new strength. And so it tried to become a spiritual discipline. And I've been challenged by someone to do a one exercise, one minute every day, seven minutes every week, 30 minutes every month. Hold me accountable. It's challenging. But 911 happened. I was driving. I heard it on the radio. A plane threw it, flew into the trade towers. I've been on the top of the trade center. I know how massive that structure is. And I thought, yeah, it's like a fly on a windshield. There'll be no problems. I'm driving further, and I hear that the towers collapse, and I'm going, ah, that's fake news. That's not possible. And I get to my destination, and I see the carnage of what happened. And I know that life will never be the same. And I started leafing through my Bible, and I ended up in Psalm 62 that says, My soul wait in silence. For God only, he is my hope. I just felt like I was going to God, going, man, something's happening. He's a rock in my salvation. I shall not be shaken. I can just imagine as that tower crumbled, whole Manhattan would shake. And I remember reading, I won't be shaken. Says in him my salvation, my present time right now, and my glory rest, my future glorification as a Christian. It says he is a rock. He is my refuge. Pour out your heart to him. Trust him. He is a refuge. And so Habakkuk concludes. Even though the fig tree has no blossom, there's no grapes on the vine, the olive crop fails, the fields lie empty, the flocks die, and there's no cattle. And he's kind of making a little list of God in case God didn't know what was going on. Kind of, hey, I'm just kind of reminding you of the situation we're in. And he kind of works in reverse order. He starts out and says, there's no figs. Well, yeah, I can do without figs. That's not a big deal. And then he says, and then the grapes, they're not doing very good. I kind of like a glass of wine now and then, but yeah, okay. Olives aren't doing very good. We're getting closer to home now because everything they cook has olive oil in it. And oh, by the way, there's no grains in the field, and that's getting to be pretty serious, and there's no sheep and no cattle. We've got economic disaster. I don't know about you, but some mornings I wake up and I'm just in kind of a bad mood. Um, 
I'm generally a very joyful person, not a smiley, happy, but internally I've got a joy, and sometimes that joy seems to be robbed. And I will take time, if it doesn't get resolved, to actually make a list, and I would encourage you to do so. Habakkuk did it. He took his list to God and said, we've got problems. Jesus told his disciples, in this world you will have tribulation. There is no such thing as this prosperity gospel that you hear preached. It's not a matter of if as a Christian you're going to have problems. It's a matter of when. And then he concludes, he says, Take courage, I have overcome the world. And that's precisely what Habakkuk did. He said, Even though all this stuff is happening... I'll exalt and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that had I been Habakkuk and I looked out at the economic disaster and I heard that the Babylonians, which are fierce rivals that are coming, they're going to wipe us off the face, they're going to rape our women, they're going to torture our men, they're going to flatten the land, I would be afraid. Sometimes when the lights go out and I've got to go out to the garage and turn on the circuit breaker, or I have to go downstairs to get a candle or a flashlight or something, it's a little, just a little bit scary. I mean, you kind of create some kind of false sense of confidence. Like <laughs> you talk to yourself, you know, it's okay. There's nobody down here. Habakkuk isn't making some fake confidence. He's going to God and saying, I put my faith and my trust in you. I think that it's in our darkest days where we grow the most and get the greatest intimate fellowship with God. When our hope is dashed, when we feel like we've got no options when we feel abandoned like we're alone. I don't know where you folks are, but I'm sure there's some in this room that are facing some real financial issues. Your balance may be not enough to match your financial needs. You may have credit cards that have been run up. You may have just been laid off. You may have didn't get the bonus that you want, or your investments seem to go south. You may be having some personal issues. Someone that you've loved dearly has turned their back on you. You may have a relationship with a child that isn't going well, or a child may have trouble with a parent or a co-worker or a boss. You may have some real serious health issues. You may be going through cancer or have already gone through that. You may have some chronic illnesses or arthritis that you're feeling that pain the uncertainty of where your health is going to go. You may have lost a loved one recently. You may have a parent that's got dementia and you're trying to decide, what do we do? You may be frozen in time because you feel that God has allowed something to happen to you. 
and you feel like he's turned his back on you and you feel like, okay, I'll turn my back on him. When disasters strike, you got a choice. You can stand down or you can stand on the promises of God. You can give up and give in to fear and anxiety and guilt and let the world squeeze you out of your relationship with God. Or you can pray to God and say, I need your help. Get involved. And then you start working like you're part of the solution. Habakkuk saw the problem. He went to God, reviewed what he knew to be true about God, and then he waited. And it concludes, he's made me sure-footed as a deer to travel in my high places. When tragedy, when the storms of life hit, he doesn't expect you to just hunker down and wait. He wants you to keep walking walking towards him with faith that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. Not what he sees, not what he hears, not what the circumstances are. Walk towards him. I don't think we'll ever know how much that God is all we need until all we have is God. God is a refuge for us. When the storms hit, you have a choice. Habakkuk learned that God knew where he was. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the book of Habakkuk and the challenge that if the fig tree fails, so what? If the grapes fail, so what? If the olive oil is no good, the grains are no good, the sheep are gone, the cattle are gone, if that all disappears, I'm going to put my faith in you because you know where I am. And I can trust you because you are eternal and personal and holy. To the God who makes me stand in your presence, blameless with great joy, be dominion, majesty, authority, now and forevermore. Amen. We are dismissed.